0: what's up guys and thanks so much for listening to the staying driven podcast a podcast with you in mind i'm your host steph roach and today i sit down with sarah hatton she's a dpt doctorate of physical therapy she works at kingsway learning center and newman university physical therapy program this conversation was absolutely incredible We do have a little personal connection that we will talk about in the episode, but we talk about the journey of what it looks like to work with a physical therapist from early adulthood in your teens to what it would really look like if we started working with physical therapists more into adulthood. I really hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Let's get into it. Hi, Sarah. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thanks so much for coming on. Hi, thank you for having me.
1: I'm always excited to uh be a part of anything that surrounds Team Colby. So I'm glad we got
0: connected here. Tell <laughs> everybody how we connected and how um our lives are now kind of intertwined. <laughs> sure, I would love to.
1: Um I'm very lucky to have been Colby's physical therapist. I met her about three years ago and then at some point along the way I was introduced to her love for Steph. <laughs> and um, but you were always Steph, the hammer. There was never, just... <laughs> um, so I have been very lucky to be connected with you from afar. And I'm so glad we're finally connecting, uh, in real life now, face
0: to face. That's so incredible. So show mm-hmm. people how you found physical therapy, like what drew you into the adaptive community, because I'm always curious as to how able-bodied people find this like, uh, passion. To really start working in the adaptive community, and then they never want, uh, they never really kind of move from there. So, uh, yeah. um,
1: um, So, I grew up with a very athletic background. I played soccer throughout my whole life, and then I ended up playing soccer in college and unfortunately sustaining a couple injuries during that time. And every time I worked with a physical therapist, I thought, this is really cool, I- I'm enjoying this. And I worked in the outpatient orthopedic setting as a student, kind of shadowing. And I just thought there was something a little bit missing for me there. I always really had a passion for working with the pediatric population. Um, And the first year that I applied to PT school, it's a very competitive pool. Um, At the time, it was a less than 5% acceptance rate to get into PT school. I'm not sure exactly what it is now, but I kind of thought, all right, let me move on from this. Maybe it's not in the cards for me. And about a year or two years later, I thought, I'm just going to apply to one more school. And if I get in, it's written in the stars. And I got in and I took a rotation at Children's Specialized Hospital in Toms River and just completely fell in love with the pediatric population. And, with the, and, and then throughout that time, I don't even know that it was necessarily a frame of mind that I was going to be so lucky to work with the uh, adaptive community or with people with disabilities. It just wasn't totally on my radar how hard I would fall for this space in life. And anyway, I think I just met such a beautiful mix of people, Team Colby included, obviously, you know, changed my life in so many ways. And uh, yeah, I'll never look back. I think it's it's my favorite space to be in, and I'm lucky to be a part of that community in any way.
0: (laughs) So interesting because I think about... You know, I'm about to be 34 years old. Mm -hmm. And When you think of PT, OT, or specialized services for kids with disabilities, it really stops when you're about 18 to 21. And so I find it so interesting talking to physical therapists being like, you know, what they're wanting for us as adults. Because the sad thing is, reality is, there aren't very many resources and I always talk about this idea of like a manual nobody's written a manual for you past 21 so like I don't know if it's that people don't have like hope for you (laughs) or like they don't know what to do with you um what's something that you wish that uh the physical therapy space really focused on for people that are past that age of that 18 to 21 were. I think that's a really good point. And
1: I I definitely we see that especially as a field. You know, it's well recognized within these pediatric set- settings. We're often treating from ages zero to ages 21. And so that's a nerve wracking time period when you're starting to approach that transitional period. And we're kind of thinking, well, what's next? What do we do now? And I will admit um, the resources aren't there like they should be. And so I think that something you're starting to think of as early as possible is how can I set this individual up for the most independence for them and their caregivers and their families as possible? And what are the communities that I can introduce them to now that will give them the longevity of connection later, if that makes sense? Um, Because I agree that that, you know, this young adult area is a space that isn't as well developed as it should be. And it, and it's a it's a gray area for sure.
0: Yeah, just like with what you have with Colby, I actually had with two of my physical therapists growing up. Um, Karen took care of me from like first grade all the mm-hmm. way to like the start of middle school. And then I started working with um, Gwen, who now is like one of my very dearest friends in my life and from middle school to the end of high school but then we ended up staying in touch and you know we're, we're good friends now but you know one of the things whenever we do get together and I don't know if it'll ever go away from her because it's just so drilled into her is she'll ask me like how I'm feeling um with the independence and like is there anything that like we you know I could be working on and the reality is that like I am a what did you call it? Did you call it a multi? I can't remember. Like mixed mobility user. Mixed <laughs> mobility user, which I thought was incredible. <laughs> um, going from my power chair to manual chair to crutches and just deciding what works best for me. And I think when we were, or when I was going through, you know, to that middle school, high school range, it wasn't quote unquote cool to like be taken out for physical therapy. So instead of me playing with blocks or putting in shapes and stuff like that, they I figured out how to do that stuff. Like what I wanted to learn how to do was put my contacts in and like my hair and like do those kinds of things in physical therapy. And I was lucky enough to have people like yourselves that are more like real world thinkers rather than just like by the book kind of. It is huge. And I think
1: that I've been really lucky that throughout my career thus far, I've worked in multiple spaces that are so multidisciplinary. So we're constantly in communication and collaboration with speech therapy, occupational therapy, recreational therapy. I really try my best to incorporate recreational activities because I think it's very important that individuals are introduced to a multitude of communities, sports. Um, clubs, all the things, right, all the things that are typically developing pediatric would be introduced to, that kids would be introduced to, and and that they can establish something again that would take them, serve them well through adulthood is huge. And like you said, you know, eventually if, if you're lucky enough to have that level of cognition, you adapt those skills for yourself, right? You figure things out that work for you and for your body. Um, But kind of what I try to think about is laying the foundation for those skills to be developed a little more independently down the line and um, speaking to families early on and just making it clear like, hey, I know I'm working with your four-year-old now, but just know in my head I'm thinking about her when she's 30. Yeah. You know, to not just work for the short term and and
0: keep the long, long, long term in mind, too. (laughs) I think that's really cool because you don't have that kind of conversation all the time, right? Like though um, I remember as a young kid they would shove like the IEP at you and say like these are the goals well what happens if those goals start changing and I say to you like Sarah I don't want to do this anymore I want to work on xyz and I think that's something I mean you and I have both um, asked Amanda for permission if we could talk about this situation but I think that's one of the things that I find so powerful in what she does and the way that her and Colin have decided to parent with Colby is allowing her to make the distinction and the decision of what she feels most comfortable with on a daily basis. So if for some reason she feels like she wants to use her walker, but then wants to use her crutches or wants to use her cane, she can do that. And I think finding that power in like, again, I'm a little, a lot older than Colby, But I also grew up in a family that didn't really allow me to make those necessarily those tiny decisions. It was either one or the other in certain capacities. And it's certainly like I was not allowed to use like my wheelchair in my house. Um, It was more in the sense of like I think they were trying thinking that they were creating more independence. But reality is I use my wheelchair, I'd say, 85% of my day because I'm so independent with my hands, right? And so- It's a really good point. And I think
1: that the open-minded nature of the conversations that Colby's family facilitates with her um, is something that has evolved over time, but it's something that just the mindset allowed for change to happen in a positive way. Because I think, especially from- coming from a physical therapy background, if you were to look at what we are taught by the book, you're looking at a hierarchy of assistive devices for a multi, for, you know, for for multi function, essentially, for lack of a better word. When you look at the way that a mixed mobility user navigates real life, you're looking at that's not how it, it's not black and white. You know, yeah. there are multitude and it could be the difference between the weather being cold. <laughs> it really could. And so when you look at this hierarchy of, okay, well, a cane is the least supportive and strands are this are a little bit more supportive and then a walker is a little bit more supportive, but that's not really how it works. Sometimes you just need what you need for what you need it for. And there's no better explanation than that. And I think when, we kind of instill, I always used to call it, and I still call it, I wanted Colby to have a buffet available to her at all times. And I wanted, my biggest goal for her was independence and understanding what she needs from the buffet when she needs it. And Lord knows, she took it and ran with it. She's smarter than
0: everybody around her all the time. But (laughs) so... (laughs) Uh, Amanda and I have a lot of those conversations because again I grew up in a very I grew up in a very different kind of family mm -hmm. and and not to say better or worse but I would say that I was for a long time and I wrote about this in my book um, for a long time I was very ashamed of the adaptive community and and it's something that I will forever feel guilty about, I will forever feel kind of angry about, but I was always taught to be as normal as possible, right, Mm -hmm. like, uh, I would hear things like, oh, you know, you're so lucky because you have the ability to speak so well, and you're so lucky because you're so smart, and you're so beautiful, and all of these things, and it would always make it seem like, well, what if somebody didn't have what I had, were they not as lucky? and and I think that's such a damaging way of of viewing things. and again, we live in a time now where the things we did in the 90s were probably not as acceptable <laughs> as we would but, yeah as they would be now. but I really think I had a lot of internal ableism like inside of me and like I, I hated to to think that anybody would associate me with any sort of, group of people or just that group of or or just one group of people and so this idea that like using a wheelchair it took me a really long time like I would never allow people to take pictures of me in my chair I would always stand up and get out and it was tough for me it was like it was hard to get in and out of the chair but I would do it because I wanted to look as quote normal as possible and you know that that's not healthy right like
1: that's I not to that somewhat on the other side of the fence where i i definitely recognize what you're saying to be so true in that our mindsets have changed you know from the 90s like from when we were younger i'm 32 so we're right around the same um the same age and i i don't remember there being like widespread availability of physical therapy services and that it just wasn't something that we were ever alert were aware of in, in the way that we should have been. And I think that the standards have changed so much. I think that when we were young, the standard of acceptance, quote unquote, was don't stare. Don't just be polite. Just be kind. Now we hold ourselves, or at least I hope we're beginning to hold ourselves into a much higher standard and that it shouldn't be don't stare. It should be be inquisitive, right? Ask a question. Ask a question. It, it needs to be more. It needs to be better. And I can relate on the other side of the fence to the ableist mindset that we're all breaking ourselves out of. I think as a as a culture and and hopefully you know as a world, because I will say like I've approached a conversation before, even recently, where I'm I'm working with a mixed mobility user or somebody who I recognize is is going to become a mixed mobility user, and in the same two weeks that they've maybe learned to walk independently i'm nervous to also say hey i think we should look at a wheelchair yeah because it's not your it's not the the standard thought process i think that there is a lot of stigma that still surrounds what a wheelchair means whereas what i'm trying to say is hey like great we're, we're learning to walk that's excellent but for community distances or we when you guys go to disneyland Wouldn't it be amazing to experience the independence of a wheelchair versus using an adaptive stroller? So just reframing our mindset and then being able to reframe
0: the mindset of others, I guess. Is a slippery? Yeah, there's another perspective, I think, too. As somebody that, you know, my level of fitness has changed over the years so many different times. But I have noticed that when I use the wheelchair a lot more just to be independent around the house. Sometimes I'll go a whole day without walking and I'll like forget that that's like important. And while there might be people that live with paralysis now or, or have a certain situation where they don't have the ability to walk, like if you don't use it, you lose it. Right. And so like one of the things that I am like deathly afraid of now, which I, used to never be was getting on like up and off the floor and yeah. and I just I'm scared of it and I don't know if it's because I've just like I don't do it every day I don't I've lost like that that kind of touch but like I used to just throw myself on the floor and pick myself back up all the time and now I'm like god help me if I fall you know hey right and you don't you don't want that but I also, on the other side, you don't want people, like, shaming you. Like, I've heard, oh, you're being lazy today, you know? Like, oh, you're
1: gene-blowing. <laughs> yeah, but uh, although, you know, certain things kind of don't surprise you in a weird way, That because I know that there are people who, who obviously still think in that uh, very kind of archaic state of mind, and it is something to navigate each and every day, and... You know, I think I think that's an interesting point, like just the overall changes and the way that that would affect your life from a functional standpoint. It's hard to predict. I remember, you know, even now I so I'm in my fifth year as a physical therapist. So overall, that's not like a rip amount of experience. And I always used to kind of really look to my colleagues who were my seniors and say, hey, what do you think that this is going to look like? For this kid in 20 years, like I know you've seen it before. So what do you think? And I've st- I've I've stepped away from that. I really have because as much as I do value that input and that experience, I think it's so important to just look at the moment and look at the picture and just do the best you can and do the thing that's going to provide longevity and that's going to give that kind of long term healthy experience with whatever it may be, because your body really does just change so much, you know, and I could imagine that it feels even more acute when you're dealing and managing with spasticity and tone and those things. But I kind of joked about it before, but even things like the weather, even things like growing a couple inches or gaining a few pounds, it does. It just affects your body. And so I I could imagine that it would affect it more acutely. And and how that how do you feel like that that's affected your day to day, like changes just in. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think my perspective is a little on the extreme side in the sense that going, people with cerebral palsy don't wake up and go, oh, when I'm 26, I'm going to go through cancer. People um, don't expect to go through chemotherapy, right? And and we'll be very honest, like we had no idea how CP and chemo was going to affect one another, either way, whether the CP was going to affect the chemo or the chemo was going to affect the CP, we didn't know. Um, Little did we know that my uh, chemotherapy plus the hormones that they were giving me uh, would make me gain like 85 to 90 pounds. It was a lot. And I went from like this really tiny frame and I was very healthy and like, thank God to be alive. But I went from this very tiny frame to a lot of weight on my body. And over the last seven years, I've lost weight, I've gained weight, I've lost weight, I've gained weight, and it's just... It's this constant roller coaster of mm-hmm. just trying to figure it all out, you know? Sure. I'm definitely, I wouldn't say I've lost mobility. I think I am challenged more than ever by my spasticity. spasticity yeah. Uh, I don't take any medication. And that's another thing that I kind of wanted to get your view on because whenever a doctor asks me, like, oh, do you take any medication? I'll say no, and they'll say, oh, my God, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. So, like, in one hand, that sounds like a compliment. But mm-hmm. in the other hand, what are you saying about the people that do?
1: Sure, I can understand that, especially because of the fact that your your inquisitive nature about this topic is surrounding a potentially really functional use, and it's not... It's not really to be framed in a negative mindset. It should more be open for discussion in a very kind of open minded way, hopefully.
0: Yeah. And so I think, like, I think as I've gone from my 20s to my 30s, you can definitely tell that I've aged. And, like, I know that sounds weird because, like, oh, you know, for most people, 20 to 30, that doesn't seem like a lot. But I kind of feel like sometimes when you're in this CP body, you're like aging in like doggy, People,
1: honestly, you're not right. I mean, what the a lot of the research that surrounds cerebral palsy and what the muscles, the cross section of the muscles look like is comparable to the geriatric population and, and the ways that m- that muscle needs to be trained with individuals with cerebral palsy is, you know, a, a speci- very specific way. And when we think about how medications have changed over time, there is so much new research surrounding Botox now that is scary and so yeah I mean it's some it's all a part of just that longevity and that long-term health that we as physical therapists keep in mind and put a lot of pressure on ourselves on to stay on top of because it is relevant it's it's completely relevant what you're saying and it changes the way that we practice and I'm sure it changes the things that you want out of being a part of any type of PT session or you know
0: and I think, I mean, we talked about this earlier, so we'll we'll kind of like lead into it a little bit. Mm-hmm. You go from, you know, being this innocent child to le- wanting to learn daily activities and your family wanting you to learn how to do all of these things as independently as possible. And then you get to 21, 22, and everything just like abruptly stops. And for some people, that abruptly stops when you're 18. So... Mm-hmm. I'm 34 years old and I am a wife and somebody that is very just like active in my life and my goals in life have changed. My goals have gone from wanting to put in my contacts and wanting to learn how to straighten my hair, putting my clothes on, to wanting to learn how to take my clothes off and be in an intimate relationship. And I've been in front of physical therapists. When you say the word, Sex to them, they they lose their mind. They like don't know what to do, and That's crazy. So it's like it's not like we're asking you to like physically do it for us. We're right, asking, right. <laughs> I want to know how to be healthy and and make my like my hips work better and my my besticity lesson during those experiences because it does it affects you, it affects your partner sure. for the day you have nobody to have this conversation with. Right. And that's reality. And that's a part, you
1: know, I think the biggest thing that a physical therapist should and could bring to the table if they're, if they're doing it right is being the movement expert and being somebody who should be able to relate things back to function. And sexual function is a major part of function, especially in adulthood. And I think it's something that should not be shied away from. And it's something that We should be preparing our young adults to talk about openly. And thankfully, I am noticing that there is becoming much more of a space for women's health because women's health is very different than men's health. And when you add this additional kind of layer of dealing with spasticity when you're talking about mobility and that mobility happens in your bed, too, and kind of managing that it's all a really important part of the full circle conversation of health and mobility. And so now there is a wonderful space that is getting bigger for women's health in physical therapy world, certainly pelvic health. Um and I'm really happy to say that that's um a space that I've I have a few colleagues that have stepped into who would be extremely trusted and extremely open about these conversations and I think it's really important and it's something that I've only really seen grow and change in the past few years and it goes for adulthood and for young adults because something that surrounds cerebral palsy, unfortunately, is global spasticity. Like spasticity doesn't choose which of your muscles necessarily it's going to affect and your pelvic floor is a part of that wow. and your legs, your lower extremities and yeah. that's all sexual function. So.
0: I mean, even so, like I talk about this openly too not just about sex but like do you understand that I think I was maybe I don't know 24 when I put my first tampon in because it's so interesting that that was never like
1: an open conversation for you
0: never an open conversation right too anytime that I would try because no like, nobody ever really taught me how anytime I would try I obviously wasn't able to um put it in correctly and Mm -hmm. so it was really painful and so when so when somebody finally taught me like you need to you need to be able to go a little further and you need to be able to like make sure it's all the way up there (laughs) yeah when you don't have the dexterity to literally take your thumb and your two fingers and like do sure It's like and you're talking about adductor
1: tone, like your legs want to stay together. (laughs) Lottie's working hard. And when we look at like that pediatric population, I think now it's become such an important part of the conversation. There's a lot of practitioners local to me who are becoming pelvic floor specialists for kids specifically to start conversations like that as they go through puberty, not when they're 24 and they're going like, what the heck am I doing? Yeah, because I think the more that it's not talked about, the more that it becomes hard to talk
0: about. It just kind of snowballs, and I know, you know, like if it's because it's like, it's like socially taboo to like, right. talk about periods and talk about having sex, but like right. everybody, everybody knows these things happen. So like,
1: yeah. <laughs> like wow. I'm not sure if that too like I'm wondering I guess sometimes I could imagine that the lines get blurred sometimes because I'm not sure I definitely think that that's probably a a thing that maybe that stigma surrounds the disa- like disabilities a little bit yeah. like or maybe that's an added layer but I certainly see it too with just my friends who are females and yeah. I think that the womanhood mixed with like is an interesting combination to kind of breach because I've had friends like come to me who have like recently had children and been like my like body literally feels like it's like falling out of my butt (laughs) yeah yeah And do you like as a PT like what can I do about it and I'll refer them to public floor like thank god that space exists now but it's hilarious that you say that because I recognize it on the side of being a woman and I can't imagine having that added layer of management and it's a it it's also like appalling that nobody ever spoke to you about that as a teenager mm-hmm.
0: yeah remember get, i remember getting the book about like you know pads and tampons and all that stuff. Yeah. but like there are some conversations that i'll have with amanda that i'll be like and we're like we're for a second and like because we're like the same age mm-hmm. And go, do you want to go back in time and like
1: <laughs> no, that's so interesting i'm really glad you brought that to my attention actually because i could it's probably something that I could do a better job of as well, like helping to facilitate those conversations or at least making the right referrals in that space, especially for like right now. I have a little handful of like sweet teenagers that I'm treating who have diagnosis of cerebral palsy. And I think for so long, the conversation has surrounded their medically based health. Yeah. That sometimes female health doesn't necessarily make the cut for what the conversation's going to and- be.
0: Like, and I think that that's something where, like, I think about nobody ever taught me about, like, an applicator or, like, what that could do, like, dexterity-wise or, like, uh, even now, if if I ever choose to use a tampon, it literally feels like an Olympic sport, right? Yeah. And, like, when I'm, like, yeah. when, <laughs> when I achieve it, I'm, like, oh, my God, it's, you know, I'm so proud of myself. But, yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, like that's something that that does need to be talked about, because like I think about, too, you're now in the space where like you're, let's say you're 11, 12 years old, you're going through that, right? Mm -hmm. And go into your your 20s and your your, you know, early 30s and you're talking about sexual health. But then what happens when you want to talk about getting pregnant? Right. There's nobody there like you. will I Yeah. I just went to a doctor to talk about that and like nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing, right. there's nothing. It's such a
1: niche. <laughs> yeah, it really is. No? Can I ask you, like you mentioned growing up that your experience was a little bit different as far as I guess maybe acceptance is a good way or, or kind of oh. what your experience was. Would you have been open to having that conversation facilitated by a PT? Like would that have been a comfortable space for you? a hundred percent but that's no it is good to know I guess from my perspective like you know that's where you you kind of just yeah I think you just brush over like it's yeah that's not okay it's a good thing that you
0: bring up I don't think and this isn't something that um I I I don't know how to say without it sounding negative um because I I don't mean it in a a negative connotation oh uh, it's okay. But most I don't think I was raised by people that had any sort of like um had like the I don't know how to explain it like the emotional component really or like or the patience necessarily like and I'll give my mom so much credit like Mm -hmm. and you know my parents did an amazing job in the sense of like allowing me to be as independent as possible But even though, like, I'll joke with my mom and she'll tell people, you know, she basically kind of like raised herself and like me and my siblings, like, you know, we did what we had to do. But um, I don't, I don't know that I, they had the same patience that somebody might have now. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. It's a, yeah, that does make sense. I think it's
1: something, um, too, that, we constantly like as physical therapists have to remind ourselves are we checking every box because i think when you're looking at the whole person and especially when you're within peds world and so this person is growing and changing and all these things are changing and it's it's the things that are forefront you know, you're, you're managing braces, you're managing adaptive equipment, you might be managing the school setting, These, this, that, and the other. And sometimes it's really nice to get that check, whether it be from another colleague or from the patient themselves or from the family, where they bring up a conversation like this because every now and then you might not be checking all the boxes. And I think that's okay, but I, but I also think it's so important that there are people willing to bring up these maybe sometimes forgotten about boxes to our attention because they're really important. And um, it's a part of the whole picture. It's a huge part of the picture.
0: I think there's uh there's a way to where like, in some people's eyes, it might look like it, crossing a line or an inappropriate conversation. But at the end of the day, like, somebody needs to have that conversation. Because yeah. And if it's the physical therapist where somebody can feel comfortable enough, like I know that I can call Gwen or Karen for anything, mm-hmm. and not because they're my physical therapist, but because they're just part of my life now. Sure. But they also have the the emotional capacity and and the the medical side of it where it mm-hmm. like can kind of separate the emotion and the medical. Been, yeah. Um. But I think that's so
1: important, right, because it, is. It, it absolutely is. And physical therapy is a really unique space because of the fact that we have the medical background and we do tend to hang on to the emotional and kind of social and environmental pieces because of the fact that we're lucky to be able to see our patients typically like once a week, if not twice a week. Whereas a doctor, you might be checking in and touching base every few months. And so they don't always really know yeah um what exactly the goals are quite as maybe not quite as well but they know it from a different standpoint like that's a, a much more you know medically based model to go in once every couple months for a checkup whereas PT we have this unique experience of really really getting to know our patients mm-hmm. and so I do think it falls a little bit on us to host some of those conversations and introduce them because it does feel like more of an intimate conversation to most people. Yeah. And that's okay, but I think it it does become a little bit more of our duty to welcome those conversations openly because of the fact that our patients have typically established a really strong rapport with us if we've done a good job or if right. we're well connected. So
0: and I wonder too like if you did like a round table of like your 12-year-old girls, your 10-year-old girls, and you even ask them, like, what do you know about, I don't know, periods, tampons, ads, whatever. Like, what do you think you know, right? And and they tell you that they don't know anything. That tells you kind of a baseline of what you might need to help them with. I don't even think that I put two and two together that... Like, nobody ever told me that... Um, This is going to sound so funny, but nobody... So number one, I don't know what kind of CP I have. Um, so I, I have Amanda said that to me. But she goes, what "CP does Steph and um Colby have?" <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, Um, but uh, and somebody may have told somebody when I was younger, but nobody ever looked at me and said, "This is what you have." Mm-hmm. And so I've always just described it because I was always taught to describe it as just like a mild case of CP. So that's what I've always described it as, right? But if you look at like nobody's ever explained to me your term, like you said, um, you said like spasticity is global. And I was right. like, wait, hey, what? Like, <laughs> like somebody had to describe to me one time. They were like, Don't you know that your lady parts are full of muscles? And I'm like, Yeah. And they were like, Well, don't you know that CP affects your muscles? Right. Like, oh. Right. And it all depends
1: on the person like spasticity for some people isn't isn't global. And then for some it is. And so really taking those differences into account and it can look so different across the board. That is the the really interesting thing about the way that cerebral palsy presents is that it truly can look so different. Some people have spasticity that's local. It's just in a certain space. Other people are affected by that global spasticity where you know, they're they might be moving like with all their might. And the reason is because they're working against their own muscles because that that specificity is global. It, it's it wants your body wants to do that all or nothing thing. And so when you talk about things as, you know, as reliant on dexterity as using a tampon that completely
0: tracks for me, <laughs> like I'm like, yeah, that is hard me because like and i think about like again there's gonna be somebody listening to this like oh my god me too but like one of the things that ty and i talk about a lot is like my um my bathroom habits and like having to literally like when i have to pee like i have to go like mm. right now and if i don't go like it, it, there's it's gonna be a mess and mm. like again that's my whole been my whole life so, like, it sounds insane to somebody that doesn't, like, see it every day. But, mm-hmm. like, when I have to go, <laughs> when I get up in the morning at 530 <laughs> in the morning, o'clock in the morning, I have to coach myself. And I don't know whoever taught me this, but I do it every single day like it is a, like, it's a routine. Yes. I coach myself to tell myself, you're going to be okay. You just need to get up and you need to go to the bathroom. Because yeah literally feel like i wake up and i'm just gonna pee everywhere <laughs> yeah that is not you are not the first person that has
1: told me that who has cerebral palsy i was working i've worked with like males who are around this age and it's like can be a sensitive topic for them and i'm like listen don't even wait for your body to tell you you have to pay when your eyes open start moving to the bathroom like just get on it because you do have to pay um and that pelvic floor specialty i think you would be so interested in that because that is the exact space that they're working with is that you know when you're talking about abnormalities in muscle tone you're the pelvic floor and those muscles are not discriminating oh
0: so, i Get have out. so many questions uh, like, there's just there's so there's so <laughs> many things that are like going in white bulbs in my brain I'm like oh my
1: god <laughs> It's funny that you're saying this because I have right now I'm in a school setting and I'm treating a little boy and he's seven and he has cerebral palsy and we're trying to work on, you know, going to the bathroom on the potty and we have an adaptive seat to help him be comfortable and help him to relax those muscles so that he can fully empty his bladder and talking, you know, surrounding the conversation of what it feels like to have to go pee and all these different things. And yesterday he goes, oh, ooh. ooh. Miss Sarah, I I have to pee, and I said, "Oh, that's good, that's great. Okay, let's go to the bathroom." <laughs> he says, he says, he goes, "God damn it, I'm already peeing," <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, well, that's not a nice word, but it's okay. You tried, you know." He felt it, but it was as soon as he felt it, he was already
0: going. Um, so you're not alone in in that uh, <laughs> feeling. So interesting because it's like I felt like my whole life. I'm seriously. Like, I'm being so serious. When I talked to you the other day, because we talked uh, a couple days ago about something completely different, and when I had just a text conversation with you, I was like, I want to be friends with this girl. (laughs) (laughs) Like, when I talked to you, and we talked about this idea that you had, and then you talked to Ty, and you had said that term, like, mixed mobility user, and I just, my brain, like, exploded, and I was (laughs) like, oh my god, like... I just wish there there were more people like you. Uh, If I'm because I feel like there people don't have this type of conversation. Now I am very open. I will talk about anything if you ask Amanda. The first time I ever met her in person, you ask her how that went, she'll just make. (laughs)
1: I'm the same way. And I think Amanda's the same way. And, you know, I, I like to have it all out there on the table. I'm not really shy about anything. There's not nothing that's very private for me. And I think that's like one of my favorite things about this field is like that connection and the ability to help people in ways that might not necessarily span like your normal thought process. And these things are real and you are not the only one that has experienced that i'm sure there's a lot of light bulbs going off for people that would hear this but it is so interesting because it's something that we all deal with every single day so and fun. it's such a huge part of life and it just doesn't it yeah for whatever reason it just doesn't make it on the docket a lot i don't know what it is i don't know if it's like a
0: well, you know if a that makes of, me like want to to a pelvic floor specialist oh my gosh
1: i would recommend it completely like i've recommended it to Friends who are, like, about to have a baby, friends who have cerebral palsy, kids. I'm, I'm taking a pelvic floor uh, class now for the pediatric setting, and um, it's really interesting. It is it's, It interests me a lot. There's all kinds of different ways to kind of help with this exact thing that we're talking about. Um, but it is, I think it is, though, it seems to me like a relatively newly exploding space for yeah. sure. Like when I graduated in 2018, it was definitely something that was brought up to us and spoken about to us. And since that time, I have met so many more colleagues who specialize in this area. And I think it's amazing to say because it's really an important space. It's so important.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like, and I know our conversation has gone in so many different directions, but I feel like it's, there's such a big conversation And this needs to really be the start of it in the sense of like, there are medical professionals that want to help you. There are physical therapists that want to have the bigger conversations with even families of saying, Hey, like, have you thought about X, Y, Z as he or she, or they go through, um, you know, school and what that's going to look like. And I also think, what do you think about like the power of having a physical therapist follow you? Like,
1: I think it's, I think it's a really uh, unique opportunity, truly. And I feel lucky to have had it with quite a few patients. And I hope that our relationship continues. Um, number one, because I think for both sides of the fence, it could be really rewarding. Yeah. To have kind of gone through so many different changes and so many different phases in life kind of together with a set of eyes on you who, you know, has seen it from the beginning and watched it evolve. Um, But I also think that there is a lot of power in episodic care. And what I mean by that is going to physical therapy for periods of time where you're working towards specific goals and meeting those goals and then taking a break to enjoy life. And I think that's one of the things that's a hard space to navigate because I think that sometimes families and parents who are committed to physical therapy take a lot of pride in the fact that they're going every week. And then when they take breaks, almost surround themselves with this feeling that they're being like lazy or not committed. And that's not the case at all. I I think it's just as important to start to get into sports and find communities that are recreational as a, and therapeutic in their own ways. And sometimes that comes with taking a full stop break and just learning your own body for yourself so I will definitely say like I love that longevity and I and I do value those long-term relationships so much but I think it's also important to step away from your physical therapist sometimes too and just live your best life as an individual if that makes sense
0: so interesting that you say that because and I tell Amanda this all the time that her friendship with me and my relationship with Colby is very 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 special but it's also very healing and, um, cause again, I came from the, the, the growing up space of, I had therapy eight times a week, occupational, physical therapy, literally eight times a week. There's seven days in a week. And the term lazy was used so much to a point that like, it still triggers me that if I'm, if I'm not doing something, I am being lazy. And it's it's really sad because I, I, I know I'm not a lazy person and I know there are people with disabilities that aren't lazy, but again, it was such a term of being like, you're not working hard towards being as normal as possible or fixing the issue. And I think that's something that I hope that we get away from is CP never is going to be fixed. It can, and it's never, it's never going to just disappear, right? Whereas things can get easier for people, but there's also ways where people are born into a certain way. Obi was born with way more ability functionally than I was. There's no two ways about it. She has better balance than I do when I did at that age. Like, I was always using a walker or two crunches. There's like I was never just using a cane. I don't have the ability to use a cane because I need a little bit more, you know, uh, support on my forearm. Mm-hmm. I was born like that, so like, <laughs> that's, like yeah, you know, and like, yes. Do I use a wheelchair way more than I used to? Sure, but mm-hmm. I've also learned how to navigate around the world around me. But there's sure. there's no healing CPU. There's no fixing it. Right. I think that's something that I hope we kind of get away from. I think so, too. And I definitely think that
1: some of it is related to fear. I think that when we are lucky enough to meet families or meet patients when they're infants, sometimes it could be as young as that or at a certain point in their life that's pivotal. and, And we've we've helped to accomplish certain things together as with you know, this relationship from PT to patient, I think that it can be really scary for families to step away from their PT because they're scared to death to lose skills, right? They're scared of that that thought that if you don't use it, you lose it. But there are a lot of different ways to use it. Yeah. And they don't all surround physical therapy. And that's not to say that I don't believe wholeheartedly in this profession and the facilitation. I absolutely do but i think that that episodic care is such an important concept not just for physical health but for mental health for yeah. both our patients and our families like i really do believe that there is a healing power to just not thinking about it sometimes or or just thinking about something else that is therapeutic in its own way like i think it's amazing that um Colby, just as an example, has found so many wonderful hobbies to take part in, like riding horses and going swimming and doing painting and just all these things that span beyond the fact that she has cerebral palsy, right? Because that's not her whole identity. And it's nobody's whole identity. It's a a big piece of the puzzle. But I think it's important, too, that we are able to access those other things in life that are healing as well.
0: Yeah. And I think that's also a big testament to parents, right? The parents help foster those decisions because she's sick, right? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, she she doesn't know that she has the whole world at her fingertips, but her, her parents are allowing her to explore that world. And so I think we live in these two different perspectives because we had a very similar experience as to the whole world was available to me, but at the same time, again, going back to like, fitting into that normalcy thing, right? And I don't know, I just think, I feel like I could talk to you for like 7,000 hours, and not get bored. Um, If if there's one thing that you would want to leave our listeners with, um, as far as you know, either finding a physical therapist or seeing how important it could be? um, Is there anything that you would want to tell people?
1: Sure. I um I would plug this profession all day if I could. I'm definitely one of those people who is like if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> but but truly I think it's really important um that you can find the places and the spaces and the people in your life who will highlight your abilities rather than your disabilities and I think oftentimes physical therapy is a great method to do that. Um and that being said, I think that there should be no conversations that are off the table. I think that this is a really nice testament. And I think you really made such a profound um kind of statement in saying all of the things that weren't spoken about with you. So this was certainly an eye-opening experience for me because like I said, I think sometimes you you don't necessarily remember to check every single box and it's always good to take those reminders and stride and apply them. Um but really, the relationships that you're able to form sometimes with your physical therapist and with your patients are ones that will um, carry you well. And I feel so lucky to be a part of the community of individuals with disabilities and um, to just help facilitate progress in any way that I can. And I certainly feel very lucky to be connected to you. Um, so this will just be the very beginning of likely thousands of hours of conversation. And I'm grateful for it.
0: <laughs> we're gonna get off this and I have so many more things that I want to get yeah but I do I feel very grateful for your time and just for your knowledge I uh I just feel very hopeful for the future when there are people like you in it um because you know the little girl in me kind of wishes that I had somebody with your perspective um that you have now so um it means a lot to me yeah it's very healing and um but at the same time, just know that what you're doing is very impactful and very powerful. And I have a feeling this isn't going to be the last time <laughs> that we talk about this kind of stuff. And hopefully we'll be able Definitely to. Definitely not. Definitely not. Steam Colby strikes again. <laughs> Thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Staying to Ren podcast, a podcast with you in mind. Staying Driven Fitness is offering one free month of fitness in the spirit of the holidays. If you're looking for an incredible community of people and a wonderful group of coaches to work with and enjoy some live fitness classes virtually, we would love to have you. Check us out at stayingdrivenlive.com.